Hey, hello. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Scenes with Nosheen podcast. And I'm your host, Nosheen Hack. Um, today, my guest is Ash Ahmed, uh, a DE&I and wellbeing consultant and the founder of Changing Mindsets. Thanks for joining me, Ash. It's great to welcome you as a guest on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. Um, so going straight into it, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Did you always have a passion for HR and also DE&I related topics? So I have been working for myself for the last year and a bit. Um, I did sole trading for about a year and then I decided to actually set up my company. So April this year, I actually set up officially. I thought, let me see how it goes for a year. And I'm crazy, but I decided that, yeah, I want to do this full time. Um, so a little bit about me. I worked in the automotive industry for a dec- just over a decade. Um, and I did various different roles, including HR, training and development and diversity, equity and inclusion. But that's not where I've always started. I used to work in the, <clears throat> in the operation side of things. And it was then that I really found this love for HR and the people side of things. I really wanted to help with people development. And I was also doing a bit of DE&I stuff alongside as well. So that's really how I got led into this journey of diversity, equity and inclusion. Amazing. That sounds brilliant. And I would love to hear more about your career journey into all those areas um, and paving the way in the DE&I area, because there's been a huge shift within, uh, I guess, that space of the last few years, um, especially for underrepresented groups. Yeah, I think when I came out of my previous organization, I was I was under the impression because I've been doing DE&I, let's say, for eight and a half years now. Right. And in the organization that I was in, It was very early on in my career that, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion at that time, it was diversity and inclusion. And it was a huge part of who we, you know, uh, the organization and the things that we wanted to achieve. So I kind of really got involved in that because I actually saw myself. I was a minority. I worked in a male dominated uh, organization. Also externally as well. I went through a lot of challenges. I was was always a misfit like always questioned the status quo so I started thinking actually a lot of the stuff that you know these committees are talking about resonates with me so that's when I really got involved in um, the stuff that I did and when I came out of my previous role and the organization that I was in I thought organizations are going to be well ahead of the game when it comes to DE&I but you're absolutely right like the shift only happened let's say May 2020, let, uh, when the incident happened with George Floyd. And I think that's really when companies said, right, we need to do something about it. And that was because of the uproar that happened, um, where people came and took a stance and said, things need to change here. And I think companies really took that on board. I still think a lot of organizations are very much at the early stages of DEI, but it's good that they're at least starting that journey. I think some people are still a little bit hesitant because they don't know where to start. But I think it's really, really important that we get ahead of that. So my career journey wasn't always in DE and I, I think I kind of organically, because of the things that I was extremely passionate about, kind of just fell into this space. I did see the disparities between gender, between ethnicity, you know, even when it came to my faith, I look back at certain things and I'm like, mm, you know, something doesn't seem right here. And I think my whole life, and I think this is the case for so many people from my background especially, is that when we were growing up, we were always kind of made to feel like we should be grateful for these spaces, that we've been given an opportunity to come into the workplace. So just just be grateful for what you get given. Don't ever question it. Don't ever say anything. But actually, in the long run, it starts impacting the way you perform. It starts yeah. impacting you know, the way you progress. 
and you know it starts impacting your mental well-being as well because you start to doubt yourself you start to think you're an imposter you have all these feelings and I'm like do you know what I'm not like it's not about me being grateful for being given this position the organizations need to be grateful for the talent that they have yes. and my god like you know women when we're wearing so many different hats women of color the resilience that we've had to build through so many people underrepresented groups they've gone through so many different challenges they are resilient they have so much to bring to the table but they are spending so much time and effort pretending to be someone they're not pretending to fit in um, or trying to fit in putting on these masks being just appreciative for what's being given to them actually they don't reach their full potential and that never sat right with me this is why we're still predominantly white middle class male heavy right it's because even though we progress we're never we'll never just get we'll never get truly to that position and I think because of that I was like you know what I, I I it just doesn't sit right with me it goes against my values it goes against who I am as a person and I want to change that and I was very fortunate in my previous organization I was given the opportunity to really bring DE&I at the forefront. I still feel like we have a long way to go. So I really decided to start this space and work for myself because I was like, you know what? I can impact people on a larger scale. Only today I was just having a conversation with someone where, you know, went through the recruitment stage, went for numerous interviews, in the end didn't get the job. It was initially going for one job. Then she was told she's going for another job. Then without being told she was being interviewed for a third job. I'm like, you need to give feedback and she was like no I, I, I can't do that because you know it's going to burn bridges I'm like but why would you want to work for an organization that's messed you about so bad because they said they will keep her CV on file in case a role comes up and that really upset me because this is why we don't speak up because we think you know it's that carrot dangling the carrot as that maybe not now but maybe in the future there'll be something but we need to call out these behaviors otherwise yeah. they'll continue to impact us in a negative way right yeah, no, that it's like, I'm always inspired when I speak with you. So just hearing that last story, like, yeah, I feel like we've all been in that scenario, right? Um, and it's really refreshing the work that you're, you've been doing and are doing. And I guess like, where have you um, got your support from during this kind of journey of, um, I guess, creating um, changing mindsets? And is there anyone in particular that you've been inspired by? I've come to the realisation is you need a tribe, you need a support network, because it is, it is a tough game doing the work that we're doing, right? Like the DE and I, it can be draining sometimes because you're talking about your lived experiences. You're kind of reliving that trauma. Sometimes you don't even know if people are wanting to hear what you're saying. You think to yourself, gosh, am I, am I questioning the status quo a bit too much? Am I making people that uncomfortable that they may not want to work with me? But then this support network will remind you of your purpose and your yeah. values and say to you, you need to keep on going, girl, because there's a shift. There's a shift in what you're saying. And I'm, I always come back to this one person, right? She's in the DEI space. And when I started out in this, her name's Haley. She's had such a huge impact on my journey. It was actually a conversation with her when she said to me, you do realize you're good enough to do this on your own. That actually encouraged me. And I felt like it was the sign that I was looking for to start on my own. And she was just a LinkedIn connection. And this is another thing that I will say, the power of LinkedIn and social media. And now I consider her a very, very good friend of mine. The likes of Farah Hussein, who's another person that I met on LinkedIn. 
just people that lift you. And I think that's so important. There's so many people that I look at and I think to myself, you are literally, you know, changing the way things are. You are questioning the status quo. And I want to be a part of that. Your family and friends, they're all there. They're great. But I think even in the work that you do, someone that really understands what you're going through, that's equally as important. Like an ally, right? So um, allies in the workplace. I mean, I know I rely on them on a daily basis. In- yeah. And even like when I put out the work, right? And that's such a good example, actually. But even like the work that I put out, these allies are the people that will share my work, that will comment on my... And it's something so small, but those words of encouragement, you think, okay, they can't change things for me, but I've seen people, you know, the likes of Hayley, the likes of Farah, that actually will say my name in rooms when I'm not there. Oh, that is so lovely. Um, and in terms of changing mindsets, like tell us about the services that you actually offer. So I offer the DEI service, which is predominantly working with organisations to help create an inclusive work environment. So training across the different topics when it comes to DEI. I always like to make it bespoke because I don't want me to just come in and deliver a training and people are like, oh, that was nice. I want them to walk away and say, we needed that that helped and as a result this is what I'm going to change because of the HR background to make sure I'm able to put an inclusion uh, lens upon um, any policies that they have working with organizations on their strategies if they're building um, committees or a DEI forum helping them that getting them to set their goals getting them to set their missions and it's not just once people are in the organization this is like stemming from the recruitment process, the marketing, how is the branding? Is it inclusive? As you know, as a DEI consultant, when I look in, is this going to make people want to come and work with them? So that's the big part of what I do. You know, when people are like, you found your thing, don't get me wrong, like I love my DEI stuff. And when I do my work, people will tell you how passionate I am about it. But you know, when it comes to helping women and women of color and Muslim women, especially for me personally, I can't tell you the joy that it brings me because when I take them on this journey and when I see the transformation, I am I am reduced to tears. How they started off, like honestly, some women that come on this journey with me, the lack of confidence that they have, and it's never ever to do with their abilities, but it's to do with how people made them feel. That's been a huge, huge part of like this journey of coming on to changing mindsets. Like I never thought I'd step into coaching, but it's been the best thing that I did, honestly, because I love, love watching women succeed. And I'm, I'm loving this like passion so much that's coming through. Yeah. And hopefully the listeners are also getting that because yeah, I, I just love it. Have you faced any stereotypes being a person of colour and I guess also being um, a woman as well like in your career journey? Where do I start? <laughs> when you're in the South Asian community and I'm not saying that everyone in the South Asian community is like this, but I know so many women can relate to me when I say stuff like this. But there's been, you know, discrimination that you face within your own community. And, you know, the discrimination when it comes to gender. Like you've always been made to feel like the males are better than you. And, you know, the males can do this, but you can't do this. And there's always been that disparity. You're like, oh my God, God, like, and what am I supposed to do? You're always told to bring your you know your passion and eagerness for whatever 10 10 notches down and then I step into the workplace and I'm told to be the opposite to get ahead and then you're dealing with the stereotypes like for example when I went off on maternity leave my job role being posted um, as a full-time role 
And it was almost like this assumption, what well, is she going to come back? I think that really impacted me afterwards because I was thinking, do they just assume that I, you know, I've gone on maternity and I'm not going to want to come back full time? I did come back full time. Yeah. And then stereotypes when it comes to being the woman of colour, people telling me, um, you know, your accent. And that's got nothing to do with, and I, I'm born and bred here. However, I come from Luton. So everyone will all, always assume that because of the way that I speak, no, you need, you need to sound more professional. I'm like, I didn't realise that I didn't sound professional. Also, what has that got to do with my capabilities of doing the role? But there's so many things, right, that make you feel like you're not good enough. And I think it's so important that we start looking at what role society played in making us feel like we weren't good enough. We, we keep talking about this imposter syndrome. Well, let's not focus on the individual. Let's focus on the society that made us feel like we're imposters in the first place. And I guess taboo subjects like menopause, uh, periods, depression, anxiety. I could go on. The list is really long. But <laughs> how do you find addressing these with like South Asian people? Like, you know, when you're coaching or when you're going into the corporate world, like what's your experience been like talking about uh, such topics? Like, do you have advice for anyone who's, you know, looking to address similar topics in, in their place of work or in, even in their personal lives? Me personally, I've grown up in a community where speaking about periods was not the norm. Even me saying this word out loud, it's like, hard. Oh, if my mum heard this, she'd be like, why are you saying periods out loud on a podcast? But it's true because we weren't allowed to speak about these taboo subjects. So, yes, having this conversation with you, and actually, I can have this conversation openly. However, when it comes to that time, specific time, I don't feel comfortable with the world knowing I haven't reached that stage where I'm fully able to embrace because I'm still unlearning so many behaviors because for so long we were told periods are a bad thing to speak about and you can't speak about it and now like I can have conversations with my brothers I know my mom's like what are you doing but years ago we weren't able to have those conversations we, my brothers weren't even allowed to know we were on our periods now I'm like if I if it's the month around and I'm 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 on my periods and I'm I'm eating in front of my brothers they don't bat an eyelid and I'm like why did we have this thing where we made people feel so uncomfortable about such subjects I know and I will give you the example because you mentioned postnatal depression as mm -hmm. well I went through postnatal depression really really badly and when I was going through it I started speaking about it. You know, people would say, how are you finding motherhood? I'm like, I hate it. I'm going through postnatal depression. But that doesn't mean I don't love my child. I love my child. I give my life for my child. But I don't enjoy what I'm going through right now. I'm not enjoying this change in my life, this change to my body. And I think we really need to be open about these things without making women feel like they hate their children just because they hate the change that's happened in their life. And they're hating this they're not they're not able to deal with all these emotions that they are going through. independence the independence yes. oh my, oh my uh -huh. god yes I became I was so independent prior to having a child and I think in that moment I became so dependent on my husband but I couldn't go out without him I was like what if the baby cries what if we're driving the baby poo what am I going to do there's just so many things that were happening that really you know took me into a darker place basically and I think when I started having these conversations with women and I started saying, yeah, I'm going through postnatal depression, very open about it. Honestly, Nosheen, if I, I can't tell you how many women's response was, I went through the same thing. And one woman went as far as saying to me, but my husband said, well, you're not the first one to give birth to a child. I was like, oh my God. I hate that line. I, I was hate. like, you've got a 
hold me back right now because stuff like that honestly it really bugs me I'm like if only if only some of these people knew like if you had to walk you know if you had to walk in our shoes and understand how difficult it is how your whole life is changing yeah you know what some people fall into it and they were like born for this I wasn't like I, I mean I wasn't born for this I really really struggled because I became crippled because of the traumatic experience that I went through in labor we need to speak about these things I would love to know about uh, your experience um of being I guess unconventional um like in your earlier in your career um and how you handle this um I guess within your family and I guess that wider South Asian community that um you grew up in did it impact um did it impact you in terms of your mindset um while going through that and how did you manage this and do you have advice for anyone who's maybe going through something similar as well I think, you know, just listening to you, I think when I think about what was the biggest impact of being the unconventional one or questioning the status quo, I think it did take a hit on my mental health. And I want to tell you that actually wasn't an easy journey. And I'm very, very lucky that I have an amazing immediate uh, support network with my immediate family. Like my dad was always like, you need to go and like build something for yourself, never be reliant on anyone. And I'm very lucky when it comes to like my parents, they they never said anything, but I felt like initially, you know, like really pushing me the support and all of that, like that really, I, I could have done with more of that. And I think I don't blame my parents because my parents didn't know what mental health was. I've taken them, mental ill health, I should say. They, I've taken them on this journey. I've sat down with my parents and I said, I'm going through depression. And my parents are looking at me like, what do we even say to her? The, the growth that I've seen in my parents has been incredible because they've shifted from being like, what is this? You're fine. You've got everything to, we understand we're here. We don't know what you're going through, but we support you. And actually when my mom has gone through, you know, if my mom has ever felt anxious or she's going through something, like I don't know why I'm feeling, I get this like heaviness in my chest and I'm just a bit concerned. And, and I'm able to label that for her. I'm like, mom, that's anxiety. So when people come to me and say, how do I change my you can't change anyone. Like, that's the first thing I'm going to say to you. But you can have conversations with them to help them understand. And then they go on their own personal journey. I don't think my parents ever changed. I think my parents always had it in them to be the most compassionate, amazing, supportive parents that they are. I think I just had to take them on that journey to move away from this taboo that we can't speak about mental ill health. We can't, we don't have to always follow what the society or the community is telling us to follow. And I, I was 16 years old and I said, Dad, I want a part time job. And he said, You need to ask your uncle. I'm like, What? You're my dad. Why am I going to ask my uncle? But he was, he wanted me to, I could see it in him, but it was this fear that what is the rest of the community going to say? And I remember having that conversation with an uncle then, and he was like, I'll pay you to stay at home. And I was like, No, I want to go out. <laughs> I want to go out and work. And I went and did that. Believe you me, like I received a lot of backlash. Then when I went into the automotive industry, it was predominantly male. The extended family were like, why is she working in an organization where there's predominantly males? I was very, very lucky that my parents and my dad especially was like, I trust my daughter. I know what she's doing. You leave her to me. And that really, really helped. What is the biggest surprise um, that you've come across, I guess, in the DE&I uh, workspace? Nothing shocks me anymore. Nothing shocks I think me. <laughs> I assume that every single person that's in the DEI space is going to really be in it because they want to make positive change. 
I think that it shocked me when I see that actually it's so obvious that some people are in it for the money only because it's such a big thing and because so many people organizations are investing a lot of money in it I think some people have jumped on the bandwagon just to make the money now and also that just because someone works in the DEI space doesn't mean that you're going to be free from discrimination from them because I've also I've also had had that happen to me since working for myself and um, I guess what do you do for your like mental health and well-being things get too much for me I step away and I, I and I take that time I take that time to be um, well I also set boundaries I think boundaries is a huge one I'm just going to use an example of a friendship if a friendship I felt like was drifting apart or you know someone was upset with me or someone had a problem with me or every time I did something I could feel negative energy it would bug me it would bug me and I'd constantly be speaking to another friend about it or I'd speak to my family or I'd let it get me down now I'm like you know what this person has served their purpose in my life thank you very much it's time to like keep a distance now because I think this is the other thing that we don't let we we think that when people come into our lives and we have a great relationship with them we think they're here to stay but actually some people have literally come in teach us a lesson and then go on about their things some people have just come in for that period for whatever reason it may be and then then it's not just about the relationships you know that we can distance from it's also about the relationships that we're not able to distance from. So say, for example, a family member, an extended family member, if you are not in a good place with them, what are you going to do about it? And I think it's really important to say to yourself and give your permission, give yourself permission to say, I am going to distance myself from this person because they no longer serve me. I love that answer. And that really resonates with me. So thank you. And now I'm going to ask you a few fire round questions just so our listeners can get to know you a little better. What um, movie or song do you think sums up your life? I'm going to say song and it's Emily Sandé's read all about it like that is me to the T it reminds me of my journey who I am and like I do want people to read all about it I do want like my voice heard so yeah and is there a beauty or makeup product that you cannot live without I'd probably say yeah my lip balm or my eyebrows you know like making sure my eyebrows are penciled in because I'm like if I've got like now I've got minimal makeup on but if my eyebrows aren't done I'm like no my eyebrows need to be penciled in that's really funny because the first thing I look at when I look at someone is their eyebrows I don't know why but really? I just have like, I have this obsession probably because I've got a monobrow which you can't see right now but <laughs> yeah. no you don't you've got amazing eyebrows you haven't seen them undone you didn't want to you see know what them it is? pregnancy it's very we notice things we notice things about other people that we're conscious about ourselves well I've really enjoyed this and I'm sure the listeners are really uh, going to enjoy this as well so thank you so much for a great interview um and how can people connect with you um and learn more about changing mindsets and the services you offer or if they just want to as you mentioned just dm you yeah so linkedin linkedin ash ahmad um so surname spelled a-h-m-a-d you can connect with me on linkedin and on instagram you can find me uh underscore changing dot mindset weird like i I hate that i have underscore and dots in there but changing mindset when it's done was completely it was taken so that was the next (laughs) best thing I get that struggle. (laughs) Thank you so much. So um, for the listeners, you'll find this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Podbean and YouTube. And you can also follow me on Instagram at BTS Noshin. And please do leave a review and a rating. Thank you, Ash. Thank you so much, Noshin.